0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams and I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free. So we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash The Next Track and thanks. So you've got this, this dandy Atmos set up in your, in your music room your TV in your media room what do you call that room
1: I just call it the TV room that's how it's listed in the home app on my computers TV room
0: okay so the TV room but really you can also use it for listening to music because you've got this Sonos setup up there right what have you got up there
1: I've I've got a Sonos arc I've got a Sonos sub mini
0: The Arc is a bar that sits in front of the TV. The Arc
1: is a Dolby Atmos sound bar, right, that goes in front of the TV. I've got a Sub Mini, which is really quite good for a Sub. Sub doesn't need to be as big as they often are. And I've got two rear speakers, Sonos 1s, just basic rear speakers. So that's six speakers, six enclosures. Sonos Arc, Sub Mini, two rear speakers. Right. I think of, I don't think, I would
0: never list a subwoofer so close to the top. (laughs) I put that at the end.
1: Well, because the arc and the subwoofer are on the TV side of the room and the rear speakers are on the other side.
0: Right. Because it doesn't make any difference where you put a subwoofer as long as the boom, boom, boom gets around the room.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, so have you been listening to it a lot are you a dedicated Atmos music listener or how is that working out for you?
1: I'm not going out of my way to listen to Atmos music let me also mention that I've got a pair of new HomePods in my office and they play Atmos too so when I'm sitting in my office and I'm reading or if I sit on my sofa and I'm working on my laptop, that's where I'm sitting opposite the two home pods. And I put some music on. If it happens to be in Atmos, I listen to Atmos, but I'm not going through all the Dolby Atmos releases to check them off to say I've listened to this.
0: So you know, it's not uh it's just another thing that you might occasionally do.
1: When something comes up, it comes up. I was listening to some classical piano album the other day, it was in an Atmos, and I kind of stopped what I was doing and listened for a bit because I noticed the fuller sound. But when I'm looking to listen to something, I'm not trying to find Atmos recordings. There are four Brian Eno albums from the 1970s, his song albums, Another Green World, Before and After, Science, Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, and the fourth one.
0: Oh, man. It's like I can never remember the seventh dwarf either.
1: <laughs> He's dummy. Another Green World, Here Come the Warm Jets. All four of these have been released in Atmos a month or two ago, and we were talking before we started recording. I haven't gone out of my way to listen to them yet, and Another Green World is one of my top 10 Desert Island recordings. I particularly like Robert Fripp's guitar contributions in that, so I will listen to that later. It's just I've been really busy with other things. It kind of slipped my mind to, like, I need to make a list of all the Atmos recordings and so I can check them off.
0: It's funny because our passion for listening to new technology and music and things like that, you'd think you'd be up there like all weekend <laughs> digging through and trying to find some really cool Atmos stuff. I mean, if I were 14 years old, I'd be I might be doing that, but now it's it just seems like another it seems like more trouble than it's worth. You've got all the extra all the extra gear and then you have to seek out the stuff that is in Atmos. Although I'm sure it's rewarding. I I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm down on it.
1: We're in a transitional period, similar to mono to stereo, right? New recordings, I I don't want to say they're all mixed in Atmos, but an awful lot are. Older recordings that are worth remixing and remastering will be done and will soon be in a period when the majority of recordings are available in Atmos. Of course, since most music listened to is catalog music more than 18 months old, and we're getting back to the sort of pre-Atmos days... There's a lot of stuff that will never be in Atmos. You were asking me before the show about Grateful Dead. They've only released American Beauty, which is their 1970 album that has truck and ripple, songs like that. That's the only one they've had in Atmos. Right.
0: Probably their most popular yeah. album amongst yeah.
1: now, regular When folks. they recorded their Europe 72 tour, they recorded in 16-track, and all those concerts were released about 15 years ago. So they could go back and remix, remaster some of them. But do you think they'll spend the time to do them all? I don't know. A lot of the newer releases are two-track. It was a box set of 1973 recordings, which has some wonderful stuff, but it's all two-track recordings. It's all just soundboard. No one had a... You know, these were the recordings the band made for posterity to listen to afterwards, and just because they'd gotten into the habit of recording everything. So they're excellent quality recordings, and they can be remastered, but they don't have multi-tracking.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's like that for a lot of music that was recorded, even you know, highly intentionally recorded in the studios. There just isn't enough uh recorded material to to turn into Dolby Atmos. They can't they can't disintegrate it as well as they can when they have multi-track stuff.
1: Well they've certainly done that to a bunch of jazz albums that were recorded in mono or stereo. I mean kind of blue, which was originally the original mix was mono, then the stereo mix was done afterwards, but an afterthought, and we've talked about this in the past, and they Atmosized that, and that sort of thing, I remember the first time when Atmos stuff was released. I was listening on my iMac, which is Atmos compatible, and the sounds were all over the place. For anything that old, they were using a kind of a gimmick to pull out certain frequencies and set them in different areas.
0: Yeah, that's the gimmick that I don't. I really want to avoid. It's almost like a, a really bad stereo mix of a very good mono recording. Yeah. Um, if you've ever listened to you know some of the the Rolling Stones or Beatles stuff, which is in mono and or stereo, the difference is shocking. And but sometimes the mono is uh, is superior in many yeah. ways to yeah. the the stereo. So yeah. I, I fear the I don't fear, but I I I feel that probably a lot of Atmos stuff is going to be looked at as gimmicky, as you said. It's a gimmick. Some of it is a gimmick. Um, I'm just wondering how quickly I need to I need to uh, I need to Update my stereo system, but I'm going to be a two speakers guy for a while, I think.
1: Well, I think the easiest way to try is with headphones. Now, you don't have headphones yet that support Atmos, spatial audio, et cetera. And that's what I really like the most. And when we first talked about this, I talked about my AirPods Max and watching movies on my iPad and getting the Atmos that way. And that's really quite an experience. And I think you get more from a movie because you. You, you know, I think it was Tim Cook who said you, you feel like you're in the center of the band while they're performing. No one wants to be in the center of the band while they're performing. That's not what it's designed for. The, the, the sound system designed to go out to the spectators. But in a movie, you do want to feel that. You've got the atmospheric sounds of a movie behind you, above you, etc. You want to feel that, and it makes a lot more sense. Where's the
0: music go in a situation like that?
1: Uh, good question. I was was watching something last night, so it wasn't Atmos, it was just a normal surround sound thing, and the music was sort of front, left, and right. Very rare do I notice music coming from different places, although someone walks into a bar, you hear the jukebox off to the back right, and then it comes forward, that kind of thing. That's an effect. That's a sound effect,
0: though, and not really, I'm talking about like, Incidental music is what I mean. It's like
1: what having incidental music. Where does
0: it, what's the source? That's a weird custom yeah. to begin with, anyway. But yeah, having music at all in a movie to to that's just a bizarre uh, fabrication. No, not fabrication. It's
1: uh, it's an addition. It's an attempt to suspend disbelief. I mean, I go to the theater and there's often music with plays. That the Royal Shakespeare Company has musicians almost all of their plays that we saw, the Shakespeare plays, and it can be three or four, it can be six or eight, depending on the play. But you can see them and you can count them, all right? <laughs> you can see them and count them. They're generally so. When
0: you go to see a movie, you go see Star Wars, and they're showing like a battle in space. Where's the orchestra? Yeah, you know, they're are they on another spaceship? Are they? Where, where are they?
1: Yeah. I was actually thinking about that. Yes, sir. I'm watching that series Westworld. I watched the first season of it when it came out, and then I got bored, and then I figured I'd want to watch it again. And I was actually thinking about that yesterday. It was one scene where the guy's talking to one of the robots, or whatever they call them, androids. And it's a, very, it's, it's a conversation with a lot of silence, right? But the music was really present, and it made me think the music was overwhelming, overpowering. It was too much. It was saying too much, whereas the silence itself would be enough, they,
0: I, one, I often wonder in situations like that if the directors or the producers or whoever say, "You know what? They're not emoting enough. We need some. We need some other cue in there to kind of pull at people's heartstrings or, or to convey the emotion we're trying to." Because our actors aren't cutting it, and I, I often wonder about that when I see you know music in films like that.
1: I think it's also developed into a habit because imagine you've got a chase scene, right? And you've got the dum boom, boom music going on. Imagine that chase scene without the music. We're so used to it that we can't we wouldn't there would be something wrong if there wasn't that music.:
0: yeah, I was watching uh, I was watching some John Wick movies over the weekend. They seem to run them all the time over here, but so with nothing else going on, I turned on, oh'll watch some, I'll watch some action for a little while, and it's true. I mean, if you've ever seen a John Wick movie, you know it's way over the top violent. Um and the music is just like it's like dance music it's 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 a very strange thing it's like why are they doing that I mean I know why they're doing it to make it exciting but it adds to the artificialness that's the word I was looking for it's an artifice
1: and and if you and if you do notice the music that's that means they failed I suppose
0: so yeah I suppose
1: Because that cuts through the suspension of
0: disbelief. So you think that there shouldn't be like Academy Award awards for music because that means people would notice it.
1: (laughs) No, I think there should be, but good music shouldn't stand out in a film.
0: So the person who wins the award will win because most people didn't hear it in the movie.
1: (laughs) I think it's a difference between (laughs) hearing it and it adding to the feeling, right?
0: Yes, the effectiveness. What is what was what was the effect? Was the effectiveness? of the music, was the overall effectiveness superior yeah. to the effectiveness of other uses of music in other films. Yeah, I get
1: it, it kind of makes me think, you remember back in the day, 1970s, Howard Cosell used to comment Monday Night Football. And people complained to Howard Cosell, Motormouth shut him up, and so they did one game with no commentary. And people hated it.
0: <laughs> right. All right. We like our customs, I guess. It's
1: not, no, it's not that. It's that... You're watching a sport where action, 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 pause, 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 commercial. And there has to be something to fill that space.
0: Yes. And movies are like that too, because there is exposition, exposition, and then there has to be well, there has to be some down times occasionally. There just is going to be. That's when they have the ding, 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 ding. You know, getting from the cab and going up to the uh, apartment and that kind of thing. It's like ding, 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 ding.
1: And then there's the tense string sections with vibrato yeah. as someone's going into the dark cellar, and you know, right. it's effects. It's it is a series of cliches. Yeah that are used, you know, with the drums, with the, the high speed, the high tempo stuff, with the slow stuff, the, the sort of adagio type thing for the romance scenes. and
0: <laughs> Makes me think of uh, the Carl Stalling project, which is a couple of CDs. Carl Stalling was the guy who composed the music for Warner Brothers cartoons. And if you've ever watched a Warner Brothers cartoon, there's music all through it. Zany, crazy, and if you listen to that stuff without the cartoons in it, you talk about watching a movie without music. Try listening to cartoon music without the cartoon. It is insane. I love those 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 albums.
1: Well, you watch the cartoon with the sound off, and you put on Pink Floyd.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you could do that too. Depends. <laughs> what, I think it depends how much stash you've got, really.
1: <laughs> what What was the one where someone did a really good sync? Was it The Wizard of Oz? Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the, Side of the Moon, Moon, or something? Yeah. yeah. That's a you, classic. You started. I'll, start I'll, it at I'll a certain find point. a YouTube video of that and put a link in the show notes. Yeah,
0: I mean, but I think you could do that with virtually anything. At some point, something is going to. Your brain is going to going to say, "See how the music goes with the picture," and your brain is going to try to make them work together because that's just the way your brain works.
1: Because we're used to these musical cliches of certain yeah. types of music and certain types of film. Yeah.
0: Well, and it, I even think it's it's more primitive than that. I think that. Your brain will process all of the sensory information you're seeing coming from that single event, the movie, or whatever, or an opera or anything. You've got to process the visual as well as the aural and, and I you the know speech. your brain tries to make sense of it. Yeah. Well that's that then.
1: That's decide. That that's your homework for this weekend <laughs> is to put put on some Pink Floyd and maybe just choose some, some random thing. old movie. Double indemnity. Like, you know, a thin man movie or something. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> That's what I'm up to. They don't have a lot of action though. Thin man movies. You need something like, I don't know, the big sleep. That would be a good oh, one. Oh yeah,
0: you might be able to pull that one off. Yeah, that might work. Yep. Maltese Falcon, something like that. <laughs> Casablanca.
1: Yeah. So so you have no desire to get spatial audio slash Atmos headphones?
0: I'm very curious about how it would sound on headphones. Um I don't I don't I don't see myself doing it for speakers uh yet unless it becomes incredibly inexpensive and easy to listen to
1: you know we're a long way away because it's i mean at best you can get a sound bar but still i think the beam Two, the sonos beam 2 is about four or five hundred dollars pounds etc you're you're using a roku streaming device does it do atmos
0: it doesn't do atmos but it does like a it's a It's a, what do they call it? The sound bar? I think they call it a sound bar. I could be wrong. I haven't looked it up. I didn't know we were going to talk about it, so I forgot about it. But it's a a bar. It's got several speakers in it. It doesn't do Atmos that I'm aware of. (laughs) I don't think so. It does a pseudo sort of surround. But if anything, it just improves the sound from a television. I mean, that's really the reason I bought it. I didn't want to use this.
1: Right. But what I'm thinking is you could watch movies, listen to them on headphones, right so if you have an apple tv and airpods max you can pair the airpods max to the apple tv and listen that way and then then actually the surround is much more intense because the headphones are so much closer to the to your ears that you hear it more than you would with the surround in a room even though with the surround in a room you feel the space more but that would be an interesting way to watch tv with headphones to get the surround mix
0: i think what i'll do is when i encounter it and it, it seems like the thing to do. That's when I'll do it. But I don't have this. Oh, I really got to try this. I'm always interested when Chris, uh, Conacher is always talking about it. And, and he'd recently, uh, I think he updated his studio, his listening room. So that he's got even more interesting gear and he's, he's really digging the Atmos. And I appreciate it when he, when he says this album came out and this album has it. Cause I, I just don't, there's no, we used to have stereo review and things like that. And I'm sure music magazines do mention the Atmos stuff, but I'm just not feeling the... Uh, the. Uh, it's not a landslide of, of interest in it. It just seems to be an interesting sort of thing. It's not even worthy of being called like hi-fi buggery, so to speak. It's not...
1: <laughs> it's, it's Well, there, there, there's forums where people make lists sure, of Atmos releases.
0: Sure. But I just don't see it... Outside of that, as much as I thought I would by this time, I, I, I maybe I thought, oh, I don't know what I thought.
1: Yeah, it's it's more of a geeky thing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it. Music geeky which, thing,
1: which is probably what stereo was in mm-hmm. the originally, right?
0: Absolutely. My father was a total stereo geek. He had all the early stereo equipment as soon as it was out. Um, I'm not interested in. Oh well, I love stereo. Don't get me wrong. I think stereo is is phenomenal. Um, I don't, I don't mind the, uh, the having to sit in the middle of it, but that's, that's the thing I was wondering is how often you go to that room to listen to music because it, it also seems like it's, well, not that you would move a lot while you were listening to two speakers, but it seems to me you're really bound when you have Atmos because if you move... I, is is the sound going to be compensated if you move a little to the left or a little to the right?
1: No, of course not. It's the same as the stereo sweet spot, but since you have sound all around you, moving to the side won't change the back that much or the 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 what they call the the speak the sound reflecting off the ceiling won't change it that much. If anything, I'm trying to think is the sweet spot more or less forgiving because you're getting sound from more directions. Uh, I'd have to do some testing and figure that out.
0: See, but you don't want to do that. You don't want to bother with that.
1: <sighs> I like the music. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it sounds better, like, like if I'm listening to a recording and it's an Atmos and I'm listening uh, on my home pods and I say, wow, that sounds better. I notice it, right? Um, th- this isn't going to be my next track pick, but we had the uh, guitarist G- Gerard Cousins on uh, a couple years ago. He did a recording of he did a recording of transcriptions of pieces by Philip Glass, and he's got another one called "The Poet Acts," and that's in Dolby Atmos. It's really and That good. sounds really nice.
0: It's really good in stereo too, though. I should add. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what you get in Atmos is the reverberation. So, th- for for a solo instrument like that, it's not like a gimmick to make something sound over here and over there like you might get with an ensemble. With something like that, you get more of a feeling of a room. That's all it is. It's very subtle. Just as I think you shouldn't really hear the music in movies, you shouldn't really hear the atmos in atmos recordings. You should feel the space and the presence more than anything else.
0: Right. That's a that's a very good point. I think the the I don't want to experience the gimmick. I want to experience the quality of the room. See, I imagine when you hear someone like well, playing solo guitar or solo piano, you actually hear creaks in the floor and things like that. I mean, I know you won't, but that's kind of what I expect. I imagine, you know, Gerard Cousins playing in a church somewhere, and there's got to be some kind of extraneous noise, but maybe there isn't. I
1: no, they edit that out. But what yeah. you do hear in guitar recordings is that kind of squeak when yeah, the sure. finger slides on the on the strings, right? On the wound strings that right. you hear occasionally.
0: But that's always there. That's in any guitar recording is going to have that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, it, in that kind of recording, I find it really interesting because it's, you feel like you're there much more. It feels less like a recording and more like a presence. And, and that makes a difference. But once you start, I mean, Brian Eno's Forever and Evermore, I'll link in the show notes to the Apple Music, um, Atmos version is an extraordinary recording. It really is. It was composed for Atmos. You can tell, you can listen that different melody lines are coming from different places. And it's an immersive experience, but You don't really pay attention to it once you get into the music, right?
0: Early, earlier, before we started recording, I was asking you about live albums that are in Atmos,
1: and there don't really seem to be
0: that many. And it seems to me that would be the ideal, um, with the exception of, like, some classical performances, which I'm sure are phenomenal. But, I mean, as far as, like, There's No Grateful Dead live atmos there's no the rolling stones haven't done anything that i'm aware of i mean there's plenty of material out there that could be reissued as as live dolby atmos and yet you it seems like there there really isn't and that's almost ideal an ideal uh condition for for one to listen to in atmos why well because you get the full presence you get the immersion of a live recording
1: you get the so basically you're getting the audience sound the so- crap
0: yeah I want to hear the
1: crap I want to hear the so in in tape trading there are three types of recording soundboard audience, and Matrix. A Matrix recording is someone who combined parts of the audience to the soundboard, so you do get that feeling of the audience. But you don't hear that guy next to you singing the lyrics to Truckin' off-key because he's drunk. When Peter Frampton's Frampton Comes Alive came out, I think in 1976, it was probably the first live album to really have that audience presence, that the audience is very, very alive in that recording. And I don't want to say it was too much because it was it was a surprise for the time. Usually, you'd have your, your your song and then you'd get some applause at the end. But through that, you hear the audience a lot. And that's interesting. But how much does that add to a live recording by anyone?
0: I don't know. Um, I wouldn't mind hearing the, the reverb from, uh, say, for instance, if you're playing in a hockey rink or something. Just a little bit of it. Just to give you... A sense of being present there. That's mm-hmm. I don't I don't want the. I guess it would have to be artificial, wouldn't it? I don't want to hear the crowd. I don't want to know that they're at. Well, that's another thing too. What's what is a live performance if you can essentially create an immersive experience in the studio? Why would you want to create an immersive condition in it for a live recording when the studio recording is gonna probably gonna sound better?
1: Yeah, the thing is, a live recording. We talked about this a few episodes ago. You don't want to go to a live recording because the sound's not great. It's all coming from the front. You're not going to atmosize like you know, put Keith Richards on the back right and put the drummer you know off on the side someplace. It's that's not what a live recording is for amplified music. For classical music, obviously, different instruments resonate differently depending on the the acoustics of the hall. There's a different delay for different instruments. So that's the kind of thing you can build in. But there the Atmos would be getting that sound signature of the hall and that's already available digitally.
0: Yeah, I I would think that, you know, part of we've talked about this before. The the, the hall itself is an instrument for because they were the, these halls were designed to play and amplify that sort of orchestral music. Whereas a civic center hockey rink has not been designed to accommodate Led Zeppelin. Um, I mean, all Led Zeppelin is, is they come in with a bunch of big speakers, park them down in front of the stage, and then blast, essentially. Yeah. So you're right. What would the point of atmosing that be other than to say there's other than to be immersive, but why would you want that? Because. (laughs) <laughs> so how would you accommodate that? I'm not really sure what you would do. Why, the placement doesn't make sense.
1: The The Grateful Dead music I would like to hear in Atmos is when in, in late 1980, they did two, I guess, residencies, one at the Warfield in San Francisco and one at Radio City Music Hall in New York, where they would open with an acoustic set and then do an electric set. And the acoustic sets are wonderful. There's a recording called Reckoning, which was one of their very popular records after it came out, which came out with a second CD edition and there's some additional recordings in the world. Beautiful stuff. And it's acoustic guitars, it's it's soft drumming with brushes, that sort of thing, soft keyboards, and that would sound good. That that would be I'm in the center of the band, because these guys are all playing in my living room. They're passing around joints in a bottle of Jack Daniels, right? That that I could imagine in Atmos.
0: That's because the instruments are acoustic, they're not getting extra Oomph from amplifiers from amplification. Well, they
1: were amplified in, in the recording. But as you say, uh, they sorry, in they were they were amplified in the concert halls.
0: But as you say, they don't need it because they could be doing the exact same thing in your living room, and you would hear I, that just fine. Right. right
1: so the right. fact
0: that they are playing acoustic instruments on a stage that have to be amplified is is that's the difference.
1: Okay. Next tracks. Go for it. I've discovered an interesting group recently called The Next NECKS. They are a technically a jazz trio from Australia and they have these really long albums, and not, not albums, but like songs that are an album length, 50, 60, 70 minutes long. Their first recording is called Sex. Why would they choose the word sex for their first recording? I mean, I, I don't see any information on Wikipedia about why the name was chosen, maybe just because people search for sex on the internet. But even, this is pre-internet, it was 1989. It is a 56-minute single track with the three musicians improvising over a two-bar motif on this album. I'm reading from Wikipedia. The band overdubbed the instrumentation of piano, bass, and drums in a dual take, creating a hypnotic, repetitive piece. It's really interesting. It's really minimalistic, but not the kind of minimalism we know Philip Glass, Steve Reich, even Morton Feldman. It's got that jazz thing, and it's got the rhythm. It's got really interesting sounds. Remember, this is 1989, and... On Wikipedia, it says this album's an early example of the CD format being used to expand the length of recorded performances, with one reviewer noting that time limitations and format restrictions of cassette, vinyl, and the obtuse 8-track would have meant that their work could only have been experienced live. And I mean, now you'll get a 60-minute piece of music. Brian Eno's released a few. But hearing that from 1989 is actually quite interesting. You know, early days of CD. So they've got something like a dozen albums that they've released. Most of them are single tracks. Some of them are like three 20-minute tracks. When they perform live, it's all improvised and, you know, improvised to a structure. This is the the, the, the riffs we're going to cover for an hour. Fascinating stuff. So it's Sex by the next. What have you got, Doug?
0: You know, we usually talk about how the record companies are trying to repurpose a lot of their catalog stuff. And recently, you may have noticed that Talking Heads released a newer expanded edition of their Stop Making Sense live performance on two LPs. So naturally, they have to release a longer version for the streaming services. So it is available to listen to. I don't think I want to hear it on LP. Although I did have the original LP, and then I got the expanded CD, and I had the VHS, and I have the DVD now. I liked... Talking Heads back in the day, uh, they formed in Providence at the Rhode Island School of Design, and they seemed to make an effort to come to Providence rather frequently. And I saw them three or four times, and I certainly saw them do uh, Stop Making Sense, but not in the theater-type arrangement that they have in the film. I saw them in an arena. They were in a, at the Providence Civic Center. I don't know how it looked to the people in the back— I got tickets through the radio station that I worked at, so we were sitting up front, so we got to see, you know, everything looked great. But uh, I can't imagine anything but the big suit looked impressive from the back of the hall. Anyway, of course the recording is great. It's uh, I'm glad they're re-releasing it. Of course, it's bit by bit, right? They, they're finally releasing more of the tracks that were actually performed in the concert. I'm looking forward to giving it a listen. It's been remastered, so it should sound a little cleaner. It's got a couple of extra songs in it that I haven't heard yet, so... I'm going to give it a go. Talking Heads, "Stop Making Sense" Deluxe Edition is my next track. This was episode number 263 of the Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com and don't forget to support the Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free, self-sustaining. We like it that way. But it's your support that keeps us going. So please visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.